You're listening to the Running Around Charlotte podcast presented by the Novant Health Charlotte Marathon. One day, five events with a race day distance for every goal and pace. Find out more or register at runcharlotte.com. The Running Around Charlotte podcast is brought to you by our partners at Novant Health Orthopedics. Runners like you are always on the move. Twisted ankles and broken bones can't wait, and neither should you. Novon Health offers walk-in appointments and same-day care at select orthopedic clinics to help you get back on pace. Visit novonhealth.org slash ortho now to learn more. Now, here are your hosts for the Running Around Charlotte podcast, Tim Rhodes and DC Lucchese. As of this recording, we are just back from our annual pilgrimage to the Running USA, the trade show for the running and endurance event industry. Yes, it's great to catch up with folks in the business and check the greater pulse of the industry as a whole. It's even better to bring information back that can help us bring a better experience to runners like you. One of the teams that keeps tabs on the big picture of the running industry is our partner, Run Signup. They've just published their annual industry report, and Brian Jenkins and Eric Cohn from Run Sign Up are here to help us get into that data. They're our guests here on the Running Around Charlotte podcast. Eric and Brian, how are you guys doing today? I'm doing great. Yeah, we're doing great. DC Lucchese? Smashing. Smashing. I'm not going to lie, I'm still a little chilly from... Uh our trip to Florida. So <laughs> yeah, so the trade shows at Orlando, in, at Orlando, Florida this year it was, and uh, people from all over the running industry, whether it's uh, events, vendors, uh, I don't know that we had too many sponsors, but um, a couple just, charities. Uh, charities, yep. yeah. And so, and you know, whether it's a 5K, a 10K, marathons, um, it's just great to get together and see everybody. And it's kind of that one time a year where you get together for three or four days and compare notes and kind of take things away. So tell us about Run Sign Up and, and why you're involved in the running industry and what exactly Run Sign Up is besides a place to register for a race. So Run Sign Up works with 28,000 events across the United States. And we, uh, so our goal is to provide as much technology as the client will let us provide. Uh, so it, many of our clients, that's just registration services, but more and more, we're proud to be able to support uh, many of events with uh, website services. So one of the key functions for an event is to have a, a great looking website. And so I got involved with the running industry as probably many people who uh, might listen to this is that they ran and high school and I ended up running in college as well. And I had a passion for trying to figure out uh, a way to get into technology and running and, you know, right place, right time, uh, right opportunity. And uh, I actually ended up meeting Eric. And so maybe this is a good time to transition over to Eric. Sure. So uh, I've been in the industry for 18 years and uh, Brian and I met at the uh, finish line of the Richmond Marathon, I believe in 2009. And, uh, who got there first? So I was already there. <laughs> oh, I, boy, I was yeah. doing live results at the, Oh, line. there you go. Okay. Right. Live results. <laughs> first <laughs> finisher. Laptops, all sorts of stuff going on. And, uh, Brian approached me and said, Hey, I'd, I'd love to, to come in and talk with you and have a uh, opportunity to work with you. He obviously had a, a big passion for, uh, running. He's a great sales guy. Um, I was looking for a really good salesperson cause I'm not that great of a salesperson. Mm-hmm. I um, definitely am more of a relationship person and uh, technology nerd. So uh, with that, you know, 18 years later, and I don't know, what is that for you? 15, roughly? Uh, so here we are. Yeah. 
Uh, the cool thing with run sign up, besides what Brian said, is uh, the, the other big thing that we do a lot of is email. You know, a fair amount of email is sent on our platform, and that's something that a lot of organizations love about our platform is the uh, free email tools. All right. So um, in in your opinion, either one of you, uh, what's the biggest takeaway from the annual industry report? So you guys you guys take all the information you have. How many events did you say? 160,000? Um, so it, last year it was just around 28,000. 28,000. Yeah. So from, from the beginning you've done 160,000 events. Yes, 160,000 races have been, been at least set up on our there's site. There's been some churn. Some, some and, and then also just listings or events that don't happen and stuff gotcha. like that too. And so 28,000 uh, events, and you guys capture data from um, from information that's put in and then deliver that back in the form of reports, correct? Yeah, so correct. we summarize it. So we yeah. get right. you know, 8 million plus registrations a year, and we aggregate all that data. Um, the team and Johanna do a, a really good job of taking reports every year and then building on them. So yeah. the the original one was 2016, I believe, and we have overhauled the the actual summary reports sure. a fair amount since then. But people come back to us and go, "Hey, we'd love to see it this way or add this or that." Yeah, and and that's what we do. So what what was your biggest takeaway from the data that that um, you aggregated? this past year from, from the output. So I'm going to go with number one from our marketing director. She put eight weeks into this, so I'm going to trust her okay. judgment. <laughs> All right. Um, so uh, the first thing is, is we should uh, give a, a, a warm uh, round of applause for Johanna Good and Lewis yeah. Jones who put this together. Yeah. Um, they put a lot of effort into this. So we want to, I always thank them because they do a tremendous job. If you saw the report, you know, in the physical report, it's impressive. So the number one uh, per Johanna is per race participation is up 10% compared to 2022, and now it's only down 1% from 2019. The other thing I saw in there too, a, a caveat to that is, it's finally time to stop comparing to, yes. <laughs> to pre-COVID. Great, we can look past that. Yes. Now, I'm very excited about that, that we can move past that number, but I was also very encouraged, not only by that number, but also to see that uh, the Novant Hill Charlotte Marathon was way beyond what the average is. So when you guys look at events like that or data like this, what do you see or what do you forecast going forward that encourages you looking at these numbers? So the, the big thing that I pay attention to is the, uh, so our business uh, in general is very seasonal. So we have a spring season and a fall season and the spring season has been negatively affected by COVID the most because of when sure, COVID came yeah. in and because of all the cancellations mm -hmm. and things. So the spring events have been uh, much slower to come back compared to the fall events. It's almost like we lost two springs, right? Yes. Because everything started dropping mid-March in mm -hmm. 2020, and then it really never came back. Like, we couldn't start doing events here in Charlotte and Mecklenburg County until July 1st of 2021. Maybe it was June 1st, but our first event was the, the July 4th four-miler, so you lose two springs. So you lose two years of continuity, right? Exactly. So the, this, the fall has come back much better than the spring has so far. And so I think there's a lot of opportunity when people ask me, where's the opportunities? I tell them it's in the spring uh, because many events canceled in the spring that are even, you know, they were historic great events. They just couldn't withstand the pressure or 
the um, the issues of trying to continue on after having some yeah. people have had to, to Tim's point have had to cancel. Mm-hmm. They had to cancel three times. Yeah. Um, and and that's just too much. You know, people can't bear it. Yeah. You know, if you cancel an event one time, it's very very hard to come back from that. You cancel it two times, you're essentially starting over. That's a fair point. Yeah. So where I see a lot of opportunity right now is we had a tremendous fall, like a very very uh, promising fall mm-hmm. with many events showing you know ten, fifteen, twenty percent growth. Um, and so I'm expecting to see that this spring as well. Uh, the spring weather isn't quite as good as the fall weather. You know, that fall weather is kind of gently coming down from warm to cool. Unless and you it, live here. So like, <laughs> well, in the, and, and in the spring, it's kind of the opposite. It's going yeah. from cold to hot, hot to cold. You know, yeah. and we never know what to expect. Right. But uh, it, when you look across the country, a, a lot of the large events are, you know, in April and early May. And so I think there's a lot of opportunity for growth in those events, but it's, it's been hard for those people that have committed to those timeframes mm-hmm. to stick, stick it all the way through. So I'm expecting this, this year, a lot of the growth to show up in the spring because there's just so much opportunity there. Sure. So one, one of the things that, I, and I sat in on this uh, state of the industry um, breakout session that Joanna put on and good information, but one thing that kind of went counter to what I thought was happening, people say, well, how's the event industry? And I say, my response is the flagship events, the marathons, the turkey trot, some of the bigger stuff that's out there, those are up. Those have come back and they're going full steam ahead. And, you know, the other events during the year haven't really caught up to pre-COVID yet. And so that's speaking from our own experience, like our, our Greek Fest 5K, fastest, flattest, race in Charlotte still hasn't caught up to 2019. Um, some of the others hit the bricks, Lake Norman 15 K, etc. Right. But the marathon's up 30%, uh, 21 to 22 and 30%, 22 to 23. But Joanna said, Hey, the marathons are still down 10%. Um, and so my question to her was, I raised my hand in a breakout session and said, I got a question. Are there any outliers that are pulling those numbers down? Cause that's not what we're seeing. So tell me what's like, what's happening from your perspective in uh, overall. And I, I hear you say we're, we're back to like within a percentage point of 2019 so we can stop comparing. But like, I see our numbers up in the, in, in the turkey trot events and the marathon, but I see them still trying to catch up with some of the other stuff, but that's counter to what you guys are seeing. Correct. Yeah. Um, so when, when I have a discussion with numbers with someone, uh, there's always a caveat, which is, uh, a good example. That's not very controversial is say you have a great course and uh, there's construction on it. Do, do you mark on there when you're looking at your numbers, hey, this event's having construction, yeah. um, which, you know, impacts parking or impacts, you know, whatever it is, right? Um, those types of caveats and data can get, get kind of covered up over a large number of events because we just don't understand all the different factors. Another factor that, it, it, you know, would impact an event to say one of the data points I had to call out here is we still have 25% of people registering on the week of the race. So that number was surprising to me. I literally, when Joanna pointed that out, I was like, are we seeing that? That seems like an awful lot. And and I I would say that, you know, I've always kind of believed that. And uh, so an example is, is okay. You know, it's going to 
rain cats and dogs, and they they put it on the the Monday newscast opens up with historic rain expected on Saturday. Yeah. Okay. Well, then that race is going to be down at least. Twelve and a half percent, probably. If everything was fair charting point. the yeah. same, like half the people <laughs> yeah, are fair point. You know, <laughs> half um, the people aren't running in the rain. Exactly. So yeah. th- that's where the nuance and the numbers can get lost in the 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 human life part of what we deal with, which is things that are outside of our control, like construction and weather or anything yeah. else. So, I, I, but the 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 data tells us that people are coming back, and that's despite the fact that if you talk to any race director and I'm not blaming any race director, so don't take it this way is that they've had to increase prices. And so um, it's not that the customers aren't expecting increased prices, but if you've been running a 5k, the same race and you really enjoy it, you paid $22 in 2011. And you might be depending on when you're registering, you might be paying $40 yeah. in 2024. And that's because the costs have, have gone up, but it is harder to sell a $40 uh, an event than it is a 22. Right. It's a fair point. And we see those costs across the board. I mean, Absolutely. It, it is everything we, we're buying to provide, whether it's metals, T-shirts, um, you know, police and security costs have gone up. I mean, it's just, it, it, it's a sign of the times. And um, I was talking to somebody the other day about something, and he kind of laughed, and he's like, it, it is what it is. I mean, it's this is the new, and it's not, you're not going back to the old cost structure. But, um so to get to your point yeah. about why Charlotte might be a little bit unique is because of uniqueness of that. So some organizations in other cities have navigated around some of the inflation by moving their races away from where they need police because yeah. a lot of cities have a lack of police officers to be able to actually implement race courses and secure the course. <clears throat> so those organizations have adjusted in those ways to find closed course areas where they can host a uh, 5k without the additional cost of police. Yeah. And, uh, so, yeah. So, I mean, everybody's making adjustments and trying to be creative and figuring out how to, how to save money without taking away from the event experience. Um, kind of shifting gears a little bit. Have you noticed anything about demographics? Like, um, you know, who's coming back to run or who's starting to run? That was one of the most exciting things so, I saw in there was the increase in the 18 to 29 population. Yep. So it was the uh, best year since I believe it was uh, 2019 for the industry. And um, as such, it was close to the 2019 year of, uh, of that age group coming back. I personally look at it from a uh, generational standpoint and think that as the millennials and Gen Zs start to get into that buying power that they'll have and getting jobs that they're going to actually start registering for races and participating at a basically a same percentage as the boomers and gen x and therefore because those generations are bigger we're going to have bigger races over time and that's the hope i mean you know you always try to figure out how to market to that group and it's you know if you're you know i'm a baby boomer by you know by a couple years and so trying to trying to market to a different demographic group is always tricky because you see the world through your lens and, and marketing through your lens. And that's how not the, that's not how these other generations speak. You know, they, they've got a different language and different values and things like that. So pulling them in. So ages, uh, for example, 18 to 29 is higher than it has been in years, right? 
Yes, and, and, and there's a couple things that I like to point out about younger generations that are typically uh, misunderstood. One is, is that uh, many people that are older think that younger people don't use email. Uh, and and I, I had a good test with this. I have a cousin who's 17 years old. Uh, she has a job. She's, you know, full-time student in high school. And I, you know, asked her about email. And she goes, uh, oh, yeah, I, I use email for everything. And I said, well, give me examples of how you use email. So to get her work schedule, she has to get it through email. Yeah. Um, there are, are places that are doing it via text, but it's text and email. Um, in order to get, you know, school assignments or to turn things in, the school provides a, uh, a Gmail account through school. And so, you know, communicating with teachers or turning in assignments is, is via email. And so uh, I've heard the death of email over and over and over again. And I, want I don't to, believe it. Either. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I want to remind people that well curated emails that look good, that are easy to read on mobile um, and also understand that people read um, top down or look for key points, you know, call outs or images yep. and things like that. Um, if somebody's going to read it, they're going to read it, but it is not dead. Um, and the other point that I wanted to, to remind um, some of our directors about is Instagram is extremely important. Um, and uh, for your younger generations, uh, it, Instagram is just a, a key portal and it's a very passive portal where people can, um, you know, kind of slide through mm -hmm. and they'll see pictures or reels of friends, families, brands that they admire. And you have to start thinking about as, um, it's just a, it's a passive billboard when someone's scrolling through Instagram and how are you projecting and what are you projecting to that person? And are you kind of subtly dropping in, uh, run Charlotte, you know, throughout yeah. that, throughout their day so that they're seeing people having fun at events and they're thinking about, you know, I really, really would like to do a half marathon this year or whatever. And that, that subtle marketing is where Instagram just shines. You know, it's not like in your face, like Facebook where it's, you know, you're really pushing sign up now. It's more like, Hey, look, there's people having fun. Let me ask you this. Um, like I, said, I, I totally dig that, uh, that, you know, that, that, bit of data that, you know, came in that giant book that I really appreciate <laughs> and also appreciated the breakout pages that came with it that were kind of a white paper for the entire book. Um, and that's all great for people that do what Tim and I do. <laughs> but what does all that mean when you take it all away and say, what does that mean for the runners? What is any of that data? What is all of that data? What does that mean for the runners? That's who listens to the show. And at the end of the yeah. day, <laughs> that's like, what does it mean for them? So the, probably the most interesting thing for runners is that uh, we, as a company, mm -hmm. take great care in making sure that we are on top of uh, not the latest and greatest in terms of uh, just industry, but in terms of technology. So I'll give you some specific examples here. So we implemented Apple Pay. Yeah. And, and now... Apple Pay is, I think if I remember correctly, it was 31% of people paid either with Apple Pay or a saved credit card. So if you're a runner and you sign up on our site, which we'd highly recommend, uh, <laughs> you can use Apple Pay just yeah. like you do at Starbucks or anywhere else. Or you can, you know, if you're a really habitual customer of ours, you can save a credit card. Um, either way, we don't care. It'll get processed seamlessly. And being able to, you know, when I meet people that end up figuring out what I do, they inevitably say, you know, it's really easy to sign up for races on Run Sign Up. I like that. And that's something that we take pride in because 
no one cares what we do if we do a good job. Everyone cares what we do if we do a bad job. There you go, man. <laughs> I, I thought that was an amazing number, too, that I was like, Wow, almost a third of people are taking advantage of it because I think that's fantastic. If I have to go through hoops, I have to fill out you know customer information again and all that crap. I'm like, bro, you probably just lost a sale. But it, mm-hmm. you know, if you can make it easier and make it faster and make it where I could do it, oh wow, that looks great. If I'm looking at it on mobile, and heck yeah, I'll do that. Boom, click the side, I'm in. I'll see you guys on fill in the blank date or whatever it is. So the, and the yeah. other, the, the one thing that I take away from it actually from the trends report mm-hmm. is mobile has taken yeah. over. I was going to pick that one out. So yeah. like 74% of all page views are on a mobile device now. Yeah. 60% of all transactions are on a mobile device. Yeah. So basically from a run signup standpoint, we spend so much time making sure the website looks good and it functions well on a mobile device, right? Yeah. Can a end user pick up their phone and actually enter a race without having to feel like it's going to take them a year to figure it out, mm-hmm. Right. And, and that's what we spend a ton of time on. Yeah. And that is very important for the everyday runner. It doesn't scare them away. It makes it very easy for them to register. The Apple Pay and, and Apple Wallet also mm-hmm. is available. Uh, those type of features make their lives more seamless to the actual event itself. So, and more like the rest of their life. Yeah. Right, yeah. Fair so point. they're already adjusted to using Apple Pay and Apple mm-hmm. Wallet. I mean, Brian probably saw me the last couple stores that we stopped at on the way here. I'm using my actual phone to pay. I thought he was going to yeah. say he looked like he needed reading glasses. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I've been using his p- phone for Apple Pay too, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but but those, those, those user benefit things, I think you're right. Those are things that I think that are incumbent upon folks that are in the uh, seats that Tim and I share are to make sure that our audiences know that you can do this easier and faster than, you know, we can't get you to the finish line any faster. But, you know, we can sure as heck make getting the start line. Well, if you email the right people, you can get to the finish line. (laughs) So um, something I'm always interested in is it it seemed like when I first got involved in this industry back in the 90s, it was really about the competition. You know, I mean, you were out there, uh, you were trying to set a PR or compete for an age group award. And somewhere along the line, that perspective that that uh, value proposition shifted from competition to experience, whether it's, um, you know, the, the rock and roll series, like, Hey, we're going to put a band at every mile. And it's like, now, now everybody wants to come out because of the music or the medals got bigger, or you got medals at every race, including marathons all the way down to a 5k, you know, everybody's getting a medal and you're trying to outdo each other on the medal. Like what, What's the, what, what's next? If you had to look in your crystal ball and say, why are people participating? It's gone from competition. There's some cause related stuff in there too, right? Uh, like, like race for the cure and some other causes that may be more local. Um, but what's, what's the future hold? Is it going to continue to go along the lines of experiential and then, how do you top what you're already doing and bring something new and innovative that attracts people? Go ahead. You had a question too, DC. Oh, no, I was going to say, and please don't start your answer with, okay, boomer. But yeah, that, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, boomer. Okay, boomer. So uh, from in 2014, that was the end of me believing that we were in a competitive sport. Um, and th- that was, you know, kind of the, the, the tail ends of the boom of, 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 Tough Mudder and Spartan Race. 
And at the time, that's really when uh, glow runs and color runs took off, which, again, they're kind of gone yeah. now. But at that moment, I realized we're in the leisure activity entertainment business. And I think Oprah running that marathon and making a big deal out of it and letting everybody know, I mean, yes, I know she had a trainer. Yes, I know she had dietitians and all that stuff. But she made a very big deal out of, that was the watershed moment, I think, for me was that, yeah, we're now in a space where everyday folks, regular runners, the people who walk into the running stores and go, oh, I'm not really a runner. Yeah, you are. Mm-hmm. That they said, you know what? Marathon is achievable. Half marathon, totally achievable. Absolutely. So what I see in the in the future is the people that figure out how to uh, can create communities and micro communities within their events are going to be the people that move forward. And there's a great book, and if anyone hasn't read it and, and you're feeling uh, lonely, uh, <laughs> it's it's called Never Never Bowl Alone. Never Bowl Alone. All right. I'm writing that one down. And, and it's a good book to read because, uh, you know, San Francisco just declared a loneliness epidemic. And um, <laughs> what's next? Well, I, and, wow. And the reason is, is that, you know, if, if you're someone who works with others, you wouldn't maybe notice that. And if you have a family to come home to, you wouldn't notice that. Fair. But if you're 25 years old and, and, and single fully remote and fully remote, like, who do you see? Do you talk to your cat, you know, or Good your point. dog or whatever? Yeah. Um, and so, you know, and that's like the, the big challenge of the next decade is as people kind of continue to work more remotely or independently, yeah. um, you know, you can't go to the water cooler. There's, I mean, they've tried digital water coolers. Yeah. The water's not that good. <laughs> so, you know, we as people in the industry have to think about how do we create communities? And Tim and, Tim and Eric and I talked last night about in our hometown, uh, the Richmond sports backers are kind of the, 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 the big organizers mm-hmm. in our area. And they've done this tremendous thing of creating training teams. And these training teams have thousands of people showing up on Saturdays and Sundays to train for the half marathon and the marathon to prepare for it. And it's not about the training. It's yeah. not about the race. It's about the friends that you make on these Saturdays and Sundays, and you get to enjoy fellowship. And that's one of the words that I've tried to introduce back again in 2024 is look for opportunities of fellowship with others who enjoy the same things. And, and there's like these simple filters that you can look at at life. So if you're walking on a trail or running on a trail at 6 a.m. on Sunday morning, the other people you see on the, that trail, you can have fellowship with because somehow they have decided to be out on that trail at 6 a.m. Yeah. And, and there's, you know, it, but many times we're all, we're locked into our headsets and not looking at anybody and it's, okay, that was 744. Okay, we need to pick it up. It's like, yeah. it makes no difference. You know, it's like, okay, yeah. if you ran eight minutes for that mile or if DC's running eight thirties that day, I'd be much healthier if I ran eight thirty miles with DC than 744 by myself. There you go. So I'll give you my future. Please. There you go. Um, my future of the running industry is going to be a little bit different in that, and I agree with a lot of what Brian said. I think what we're going to end up seeing over the next probably 25 years is a lot of cities are going to start to limit the number of large races that can happen or the number of races in general. We're already seeing it with mm-hmm. the cost of police force and public service uh, going up. What ultimately is going to happen is the government's going to have to say, we can only have so many parades, so many license, uh, permits for these type of events. So we're already seeing it in some cities. So like New Orleans, you're not allowed to have a half marathon. The longest distance right now is a 10K that's allowed in New Orleans. So if that starts to become a bigger problem throughout the country, you're going to have very exclusivity 
driven events where these large events, they're going to be capped by the number of people that can be on the courses. And there's only so many events that are in those cities. So then you're going to have growth problems and that's going to push a lot of the, uh, the races outside the cities into the suburbs. Hopefully that's the case, man. I hope it's not a rich get richer type deal. Cause I've read the same thing where it's like, you know, the, as you see events get canceled, you see cities not willing to renew permits or, you know, basically saying yes, but helping them get to know. And I hope that it's not a situation where, you know, a mid-sized event in a medium-sized city can no longer, no longer exist because it can't get the cooperation from the city and county. Now, let me ask you this as a follow-up. What do you think the tipping point, and I know this is not in the data, but the tipping point to help them get to uh, a space where, yeah, you might be able to feel, for lack of a better description, a little bit of safety in where you are now and going into 25 years from now? Um. Not even sure where to go with that. <laughs> <laughs> is it like, you know, well, is it, uh, is it, well, you know, if you, if you have an event that has X amount of people, you can probably feel okay about it. If you have an event that has, you know, X amount of buy-in from, you so, know, community partners and city and county government and things like that, you're probably going to be okay. And again, I know I'm asking you to prognosticate that's something way out of the, the data points we have in the book, but. I, I don't think that, uh, events are going to have their permits not allowed. Mm -hmm. What I do think is that if a new operator or a new race is coming to the table going, we want to put on another 10K in your city, yeah. the city's going to go, no. Yeah. So yeah. ultimately, um, when you say, do the rich get richer? Well, if an existing race is already seen, seen as rich because they have, let's say, 8,000 people, then yes, they're going to get richer because they're going to have the exclusive set of permits for that race mm -hmm. in that city. And the city is not likely to offer another 10 K or marathon distance in yeah. that city just because of the lack of services available yeah. and, yeah. and the lack of goodwill built up. Potentially our industry is very small and niche and therefore we don't have a lot of goodwill built up in government offices. Those, those offices are so used to seeing a NFL team or a major sporting event come to town, um, NASCAR, someone like that, and they're bringing hundreds of thousands of dollars to the city. We're running oh, millions. millions. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, million. you're in yeah. Charlotte, right? So yeah. Charlotte with NASCAR, definitely. Sure. Right? Well, but a running even event Even is NFL. A, like, our economic impact was about $2 million this past year, and- you know, it, and, and I know you can measure it many different ways and so forth and so on, but it's still, when you compare it to some of the other events in Charlotte, it, it's still not, it's like, okay, it's not, but it's not a huge deal. Like, oh, yeah. that's top five. I mean, so there's what, what the buy-in has to be from a, a government is that these running events are actually providing an active lifestyle that is not just that one day, yeah, but many days built up of training for the, the average person that's signing up for the race. And that is a good thing for that community. I'm buying that. I like it. I like any, it. Uh, anything we didn't cover? Any parting thoughts, ideas, takeaways from the, from the trends report? People should do more races. <laughs> Sold. Sign up. Sign Sold. up more. I'll, I'll give you one other thing that's right uh, unique is that if you go to Europe, they're still racing. There's a, yeah. a big difference between continents. Uh, oh, the, yeah, sure. The European marathon has a cutoff time of five to six hours. 
um, they are definitely still worried about their age groupers and, and running fast. Well, that's the other thing, too, that I've seen here in the U.S. is most marathons. I mean, we're six hours cut off. That's what our permit allows. But so many marathons are seven-hour cut off now. Or eight. Yeah, or eight. Yeah. 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 So. Yeah, I can't remember. I think Richmond's like seven and a half. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, there's, it's there's a long some, day. It's already a long day, yeah. and now we want to make it longer. And that's a, and then, you know what? <laughs> I'll agree that's a good thing. I'll agree that's a good thing. And uh, if you are interested, and I know you are if you're listening, if you are interested in diving into some of this, uh, some of this data, we're going to put the link to this uh, annual report from Run Sign Up in the show notes when this product goes live. So if you want to jump into that, feel free to do so. If you have any questions about it, for crying out loud, we'll connect you with these guys, and you'll find out more if you need to. Eric Cohn and Brian Jenkins from Run Sign Up. We thank you guys for all you do for the industry, and thanks for being on the show today. Thanks for having us. Yeah, all thank right. you. The Running Around Charlotte podcast is presented by the Novon Health Charlotte Marathon. Running Around Charlotte is produced in partnership with Well Run Media and Marketing. New episodes are available every week anywhere you listen to podcasts. <laughs>